0: Welcome to another episode of the Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of the Playlist. And for this episode, I'm presenting another filmmaker interview. Recently, I had the chance to speak with Christopher Landon, the writer-director of the new film We Have a Ghost, which recently debuted on Netflix. We Have a Ghost tells the story of a family who moves into a haunted house. However, the ghost they find in their home isn't some vengeful spirit. The ghost' name is Ernest, and he's just trying to figure out how he died. So with the help of some teens, Ernest goes on into adventure to find out what happened, all while trying to escape the clutches of the government, as they just want to study the anomaly. If you're getting strong E.T. vibes from that description, you're not wrong. The film is very much in the same vein as the Amblin movies from the 80s. Landon is probably best known as the writer and director of a number of horror films, including the popular Happy Death Day franchise and Freaky. He's known for blending horror with a healthy dose of comedy, and in our interview, we discuss quite a bit about his filmmaking style, especially considering how We Have a Ghost seems to push the horror aspect even further to the back burner in favor of comedy, adventure, and heart. We also talk about Landon's social media presence, which if you're not following him on Twitter, you absolutely should. He loves to give his opinion about the state of Hollywood, whether that's terrible movie posters, Nepo Baby arguments, streaming versus theatrical, and even The Last of Us. Yes, we talk about The Last of Us. Only because we're huge fans, and why not talk about one of the best TV shows of the year? And of course, I wouldn't be a fan of Landon's work if I didn't ask him about the possibility of a third Happy Death Day movie, as well as his current work remaking the horror classic, Arachnophobia. But before I get to the interview, I gotta tell you the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes The Fourth Wall, Deep Focus, The Discourse, Binge and more. And if you want to find us, you can check our podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, now it's time for my interview with Christopher Landon, the writer-director of the new Netflix film We Have a Ghost, which is available to stream now. Enjoy. So I, I want to start by saying that I, I really enjoyed the movie. It took me by surprise. I'm a, I'm a fan of Happy Death Day. I'm a fan of Freaky. So coming into this, I felt like I kind of knew what to expect, but then you, you took me by surprise with the kind of the sweet nature of this movie. So I really enjoyed that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I want to start by by talking about your cast because with oh. your previous movies, you've kind of relied on younger, less well-known actors. Um, but you got some pretty big names for this movie. You got Anthony Mackie, who's Captain America, and you've got David Harbor, who's like in the biggest show on the planet. So uh did you have any trouble convincing these guys to do your little ghost movie? And uh was
1: David Harbor the most
0: difficult to convince because of his the nature <laughs> of his role.
1: Um you know, I'm I'm grateful that it took very little convincing across the board. Um, I think that people were drawn to the material. Um, you know, I think they liked the script. And so that was very helpful. Um I know that um I think David had mentioned at one point that I think his daughters had seen Happy Death Day or something. So I think maybe they've liked it. (laughs) Maybe they put in a good word for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I mean, it was, um, and look, I had the full support of Netflix and they were great. Um, So it was, it was shock. I want to I don't want to say it was easy, but it was, it was shockingly smooth. Um, And, you know, it's funny because I don't, I don't write things with stars in mind ever. Um, I just kind of see the characters. And so it's always really it's a pleasant surprise when, when those things line up really well. Um, So, but David and I had, you know, our first meeting, we had a long talk before he committed to the movie. And um, one of the first things he said was he was terrified of doing this movie because (laughs) there's no dialogue. Um, But, but he meant that it excited him, you know, and he's a really, he's a really brave, um, you know, outgoing guy. And so I think he was up for the challenge. Yeah. And then and you so you've got David
0: Harbour, who's a, a charismatic guy, and you're like, well, you're gonna be in a bowling shirt, a comb over, and you can't speak. I assume yeah. that's gotta be, like you said, it's a little terrifying for an actor, even with somebody who's led such big projects.
1: Yeah, but David's he's he's he, you know, is an he's a theater trained actor. Um, and I think that skill set really comes to the fore in a situation like this, um, because he knows how to really play to the back of the house, you know um and so he just and he just is that guy he's an incredible incredible actor so um when when he was showing interest I got very very excited because I knew that he was he was perfect for it
0: it's funny you said that you don't you know obviously write with actors in mind but when you watch a role like uh Anthony Mackey as the dad he doesn't get a lot of dad roles especially like teenage dad roles but he seemed to fit perfectly with his charisma and everything did you were you going for that kind of you know charismatic somewhat younger guy for that
1: role yes I was I I knew that I wanted Frank to be I wanted Frank to be a younger dad um because I think that plays into the character quite a bit you know someone that sort of maybe kind of missed out a little bit on those years where maybe they should have been you know single and childless and running around bars and having a good time. And so there's a slight arrested development kind of angle to his character. Um, and also, I mean, why Anthony was ideal and so necessary is that Frank is a really tricky character because he can really, he could become unlikable very quickly, um, because he's in it for himself. And so, Anthony is so charming and so likable that I knew that he would win the audience over, you know, and sort of bring them onto his side because, you know, no one's ever a bad guy in their in their mind. You know, he, he thinks he's doing the right thing even though he's going about it the wrong way. Um, and Anthony's just really, really, really good at, at winning people over. Yeah, and he's like that in person. I mean, that's who he is. Like, he's the most charming man I've ever met in my life. (laughs) You meet those people, and you're like, "Wow,
0: that's there's something special with that type of person." It's absolutely, yeah. So I describe this to people as kind of ET meets The Conjuring, and (laughs) and that seems silly, but I feel like it's a bit accurate because there's that that Amblin vibe, and then also the horror. What do you think are the key components for a film like this to really succeed where you straddle that line between kind of good, good natured fun, but also, you know, a bit of
1: horror? Yeah. I mean, I always tell people like the, the, the main ingredient, I think, especially when you're trying to kind of mesh genres is relatable characters like characters that you really want to go on a journey with, you know, who you will travel through different genres with, and it'll feel consistent. Obviously the secret sauce or not so secret sauce is the, is the actor. Um, and so I've been fortunate to work with wonderful actors, I think throughout most of my career. Um, and so that, that helps a lot, but I really do think that audiences will go anywhere with you, as long as you are being, are being honest and you are entertaining them, you know? And so that's what I try to do. Yeah,
0: and and I'm curious what you think about this because I've noticed in recent years, I'm a I'm a child of the 80s to date myself. And I uh, I remember this like uh, sub-genre of horror, which was aimed more at a younger audience, but didn't treat them like idiots or didn't play like almost like Disney- Disney-fied horror. So right. why do you think in more recent years, there's this lack of that sort of family-friendly
1: horror out there? I mean, I think that... I mean, I think a lot of studios are afraid of it, you know, they think, oh, how are we going to sell that? Is it going to scare kids off? Are parents going to be afraid to take their kids to see that? Um, and I agree. I mean, I think that there's been this sort of like, they've made things feel a bit bland and vanilla. And I remember as a kid, like, you know, growing up on Gremlins and Goonies and stuff like that, where like, and even in E.T., which presents a very adult situation, which is these, you know. These, this family that's sort of being broken apart and mom crying in one of the first scenes about dad being off in Mexico with his new girlfriend. Like that stuff was so real. And I think that kids kids want to be able to recognize themselves in, in movies. It's not supposed to be some sort of fantasized version of what your childhood is. it's 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 so much, I remember as a kid connecting with that kind of stuff because I was like, oh, oh, it's not just me, you know? And so I felt a connection to those characters. I felt so deeply connected to Elliot because of that. Um, and so I think that I think that studios would benefit more from from letting these movies be a little more honest with kids, you know. Um, so it's something that I think has been lacking. I'm grateful that Netflix let me make a movie like this um that goes there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's you know, but I think you know, they're out there. Those movies still slip through once in a while. I'm not the only one.
0: No, no, no. Once in a while they do. But yeah, it's nice to see something like this on such a big stage, actually. Like you said, get made by Netflix and all that. Um, Compared to something like Happy Death Day or Freaky again, I feel like this one had to be a little bit more complicated on a pure filmmaking side of things with the CGI. And you basically, like we were saying, have one character who is all CGI in a sense. Right. what was one of the more surprising things from take going from something like Freaky or Happy Death Day to such a, a bigger production
1: like this that took you by surprise? I mean, honestly, the I think the biggest surprise for me, um, this is not a humble brag, this is just sort of like, oh, wow, um, was that just the scale of the movie was much bigger and there obviously were way more visual effects. I mean, yeah, it, it, David is a constant effect and that was challenging, but like I was surprised by how it was just the same. You know, I mean, movie making is movie making, whether you're making a $1 million movie or a $60 million movie. And I think that did surprise me a bit. Um, And I felt really comfortable making this film. And strangely, like I actually had a luxury that I usually don't have, which is a little more time. Um, And so that made a huge difference, a huge difference for me as a filmmaker. I mean, that's usually the thing that we're all running up against. It's just like this feeling like you're never going to make your day. And I made it a habit. I mean, I did it on Freaky and I did it on both Happy Death Day movies where I would meet with with my DP in the morning um, and my AD and I would just start cutting shots out of my shot list because I was like, we'll never get these today. And so to be able to go out there and make a film and not feel like you have a gun to your head all day long is is really, really, really nice, maybe too nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you're spoiled. Yeah um uh, so your films are primarily at least in the last decade or so have been horror focused um but you always have that humor element i think that if somebody were to take all of your movies that's kind of the constant is you you do pepper in quite a bit of humor um but then you have we have a ghost which at least to me leans a bit more into that soulful comedy more so than the horror mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if this is kind of just a natural progression for you and, and this is like where you see things heading or or just kind of an anomaly
1: no, it's definitely not an anomaly. I mean, I think I've been I've been trying to plant those seeds for a long time, um, and obviously, I started in the horror genre, and I love the genre. I will always love it. I mean, I'm running right back to it on my next film. But um, I, I definitely wanted to show people another side of myself, um, and this was a great opportunity to do that and it's something that I want to continue to do but again it's really for me it's more just focusing on stories and characters that I'm really interested in um but I've always felt like I was not like a just a one-trick pony like scary guy you know um and especially since my life has changed you know I think that a filmmaker kind of evolves and the work evolves with them and so you know after I got married after I became a, a parent myself like that really started to inform the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell
0: it's funny you say that I uh recently had an interview with uh with an actor who uh was doing a more family-friendly thing it was Will Forte who's known for his like raunchy comedies and he's doing a yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie. and he said the same thing he's like once you have a kid and I recently I have a, a two-year-old or just under two And yeah, it's, it's amazing how things change, uh, just all aspects
1: of your life. So absolutely. It doesn't mean that I'm still not like a mean, nasty fucker. And I, (laughs) (laughs) I still want to kill people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a very high, like in the project I'm working on now, I have a very high death toll, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, but it really does inform the kinds of things that you want to put out into the world i think earlier in my career i would say that i really a lot of my work skewed pretty cynical you know and there was a, a fair amount of nihilism in it and i definitely have moved away from that you know i think it it definitely is a big a big shift
0: yeah so but you like you said you're going back to horror and you find yourself kind of sticking with horror now for for at least a decade now um so what is it about that genre do you think that that has you coming back all the time
1: I mean, it's a first love thing. You know, I, I grew up watching horror movies every single weekend. Um, and I started at a really young age. I was probably like, I want to say six, six or seven. I was really deep into horror. Um, and I think horror has always been, you know, a, a safe space for me. You know, it's like a a place to put my fear. And I think that's how a lot of people relate to it, even if they're not aware of it you know, I don't think it's any big surprise that horrors had this sort of like massive, you know, um, I don't even want to call it resurgence. I don't think horrors ever left. I think it's always been popular. I think what's changed is that I think people are slowly starting to sort of give it the respect that the genre kind that it deserves. Um, Although not completely, since we just saw a bunch of actors and famous people and directors and whatnot get snubbed the Oscars. Um, But Yeah, it's just been a, it's been a a space that I love. I love feeling scared, but feeling safe, you know? And I think it's, it's just, there's nothing else like it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit here because I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about your social media presence, because I love following you on Twitter because you are so opinionated and it's really refreshing. I mean, it is, you know, there are so many people in the the business, quote unquote, who, who, you know, just will use Twitter as kind of promotion, but you actually share opinions. And I I respect that whether it's, you know, about shitty movie posters or the Nepo baby argument, which I'm sick of hearing about. But one of the things that uh, really, uh, I think, maybe caught you off guard was when you talked about uh, sending films directly to streaming or doing day and date releasing. Um, you had some some very strong opinions about that. Uh, I, I want to know what you're, not to rehash that, but to feel now a year later, well, a little more than a year later, where you're seeing streamers who were were trying all these new things, day and date releases struggle so much. Do you feel a little vindication knowing that like, you know,
1: you were kind of seeing this a little earlier? I mean, I'm not, first of all, I'm definitely not, I'm not searching for any kind of indication. Um, you know, I could say that in, in COVID, especially like it was a really difficult time for everyone. Clearly um, everyone was trying to figure a lot out in a very quick amount of time. Um, but I'm, you know, look, I'm, I'm thrilled. I think if I, if there's any takeaway, I'm so so beyond thrilled that audiences still want to go to movie theaters because the movie theater has always been my church um and so i think there was this fear that like we were never going to get back to that and it was heartbreaking for filmmakers for film lovers um and when we felt the business kind of shifting away from that i think it was really scary and so for me it's very heartening to see that system thriving and that people are recognizing that it is still a wonderful financial opportunity um and you know that it's worth saving and you know i think that's that's for me the big takeaway and and fine i, I do want to talk about shitty
0: movie posters because that <laughs> <laughs> I, I i saw you posted about this it really is a problem right and and do you, as a filmmaker does that just hurt you to watch a marketing
1: department do that yes it does um and it's and listen again i always understand the other side of the coin which is they have they have a job right and it's like we have to sell this thing oh and here are the people that we want to sell it with um so i understand why they do it a lot but it doesn't make it feel any less dull to me and sometimes lazy um and so I just think that audiences, I, I, I think that sometimes they don't get the credit for being as savvy as they are, you know what I mean? And I think an audience is, I think they're jonesing for things that feel fresh and unique. I don't think they're jonesing for samesies all the time. And I think that's sometimes what they're served. And so I get frustrated by that. I'm again, hyper opinionated. (laughs) Um, You should see what it's, you should see what it's like dealing with me. I pity, (laughs) I pity all the marketing departments everywhere that have to deal with me. Um, No, I'm kidding. Sort of. Um, But I like, but I'm just like, uh, it's such an exciting job it's such an exciting medium so like why not sort of try and figure out the coolest version and I've been again so fortunate to work with amazing marketing teams I mean the universal marketing team they they're respond they're not only responsible for selling happy death day in the most brilliant way possible they came up with the title it wasn't <laughs> even my title they wow. just rolled out a, a one sheet one day in a in a conference room and I my jaw dropped and I was like, holy shit, why didn't I think of that? So at their best, they're amazing geniuses. Um, and so that's that's kind of the bar that I'm always looking for. Like, I want to feel inspired because I am always a fan and a moviegoer first. So I want to see the thing that excites me and makes me want to go and sit in a movie theater and watch that, you know? And so <laughs> seeing those posters where it's like 18 faces stacked over each other is like, nothing.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a, I won't name names of people I work with, but we we do send those posters around with, you know, the Photoshop is my first love sort of comment. <laughs> yeah. um, so speaking of, of fresh and unique, can you tell me about
1: Happy Death Day 3? Are we getting it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, look, again, I, I touched on this not too long ago. Um, you know, the first movie was a big success. The second movie was not, and this, and by the way, the second movie did fine, you know what I mean? But it wasn't, it didn't equal the success of the first film. Um, And so I think that in fairness to the studio, like they just, it's hard to get excited about a movie that you're seeing diminished returns. Like, it's not like, wow, now that's that's the third movie we want. Um, And it's a bummer because, you know, I had an, I have a really fun idea for the third movie. And I know that the whole cast was on board I know that Jason Blum was super excited about it. He loved the idea. Um, But if you can't get that, if you can't get that studio to really rally behind it. And of course, as time goes on, your odds are just also sort of diminishing. So, um, you know, it's a tough one. Who knows though? Like the idea, what's great about the idea is that I could do it anytime. It's not dependent on those previous two films on a timeline sort of side of things, but um we'll see we'll see what happens you never know but you know Jessica and I are hell-bent on trying to figure out how to work together again that's for sure
0: yeah did you ever think about adding an AI murder doll to it (laughs) it seems to be
1: the like hip thing well I've thought about adding TikTok dances to everything at this point because I'm like well that's definitely the way to go um by the way that I mean I love Megan I think (laughs) that doll was fucking crazy and awesome so Yeah. yeah uh so i I, I want to talk about arachnophobia
0: if, if I can. Um, sure. Is that still something you're working on? Is that the 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 kill count movie you've been teasing?
1: I, I am working working hard on that. I feel we are super super close, really, really close, um, close to a point where we're trying to figure out like where we would shoot it right now. Um, and I'm beyond excited. I'm terrified. I'm, I identify as arachnophobic myself, which is really funny because. I've been watching all of this sort of like behind the scenes making of stuff from the original, and Frank Marshall, who's just a legend and is awesome, but like the man is like unafraid of everything. Like he did Second Unit on all these Spielberg movies and has had snakes and spiders and all kinds of shit draped all over him. So he's like Mister Confident, like spiders, no big deal. And I'm over in the corner like shrieking. Um, but uh, but yeah, I am. I'm, fingers crossed that I, I should be shooting that film this year. That's so, awesome, yeah. and
0: and one last thing before I let you go. Uh, back to your your social media presence. I saw you recently tweeted about The Last of Us and how excited you were, and yes. I want to know. Uh, first off, if you watched episode three, um, yes. okay, good. Like
1: uh, through episode three,
0: <laughs> my wife said she'd watch four hours of that just to cry for four hours, but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cry porn. Yay! Yeah.
0: So uh, my question though is does a show like that give you kind of renewed hope that no matter what, like we were talking about, like horror's here to stay, and that you can do so much within the
1: genre? Yeah. I mean, look, first of all, like anything Craig Mazin does, sign me up. I think the man's a genius. I'm a huge fan of his podcast um with John August. It's so good. Um and you know, I think that what what I think that show has already proved is that yes, horror is obviously still going strong. Um, That survivalist, apocalyptic horror is still going strong. But that also that, and what I think is so fascinating about the show is that you can narratively deviate in such a fascinating way. And what I think is so brilliant about it is that this sort of hairpin turn that they took was purely an emotional thing. Right. And so it's and it worked. It worked so well. So that was one thing that really stood out for me. The other thing that I love about it is that you know, Craig Mason is a is a straight man, you know, like, and he wrote one of the most beautiful love stories about a gay couple that I've ever seen. And I think that proves something else, which is we're all human beings, and that we don't have to limit ourselves. We can't we don't have to say, Oh, I can't write about this person or I can't do this thing. Like the whole foundation of storytelling and writing is empathy. And so he proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we should all challenge ourselves to step outside of our boxes and our comfort zones and explore the lives of people who are different from us because we're going to find out that we're actually very much the same. Um, So I was a huge fan of that episode, a huge fan of the show. Um, So I I'm literally, it's, and I love that HBO still does they still have this structure you know this release model where like they're not dumping everything at once and so like it is the water cooler thing too so it's like i mean i'm literally counting the minutes for the next episode
0: yeah yeah and linda ronstadt i mean come I on mean, like <laughs> dead um so yeah i gotta wrap up but thank you so much for talking uh it was was fascinating hearing your opinion about this stuff but also uh we have a ghost is great
1: and i hope it's a huge hit for you so thank you so much I, i appreciate that thanks so much it was really nice to meet you